0: Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believers Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Hey, good morning, church. How are you doing today? All right. Yeah, well, hey, I hope you had an incredible Christmas and New Year and 2016 all together. I know for me, it was a great year and Uh, For us as a church, it was a phenomenal year. We did and saw some amazing things in 2016, but you're here at church today to kick off 2017, and man, I really believe this is going to be an incredible year for us, and uh, in the next couple weeks at BC, we're starting a brand new message series called Hashtag Goals. And this series is all about how to help you not only set those goals but actually mark them off once you completed them. And, and so those could be relationship goals or spiritual goals or physical goals. And so uh, our goal is to help you accomplish your goals. And so um, that's going to be really incredible. That's kicking off next week. The invites on your seats. But today I have the opportunity to kind of begin this brand new year by kind of asking one question. And this is the question that I'm going to kind of leave in front of us today. And it's this: Why the what? Why the what? You know, when I was in college, I I was in a bachelor pad, basically. I I lived with four other guys in an apartment. And uh, if you've ever stepped foot inside of a bachelor pad, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I tell you that there was a very distinct smell that came uh, every time. And so when you'd open that door, it was almost immediate. You were walking into the funk and let the funk begin. And uh, it, it was kind of from a lot of different things. Some of it was that we had laundry that was just anywhere, any place, any time, you know, from people who were college athletes or intramural athletes or just guys in general who just generally smell. And, uh, you know, you also had dishes that were piling up um, in the sink. You know, I had one roommate who, uh, he had this habit, it's just kind of a gross habit, but he would eat chips and salsa in a bowl, And then when he was done with the bowl, he would just let the salsa dry out in the bowl. And we'd be like, hey, man, can you come clean this? He'd be like, oh, don't worry, guys. I'm going to use that again. And I was like, all right. So kind of gross there, right? But we had dishes piling up. And then I remember a few different times where we were looking in our fridge, and we'd find milk that was like three months expired. And why we didn't throw it away, I don't know. But when you put all this together, what you're going to find is that it was just a very gross, gross, disgusting smell, kind of a gross place to be a part of. And so one night, my roommate and I we decided we're going to clean this thing. And so everybody else was gone. We, we were on a Friday night. We're like, we're going to clean. So we cleaned from top to bottom. I mean, we were, we were putting laundry in the laundry. I mean, we were Cloroxing and mopping and vacuuming and tossing dirty old milk and all the kind of stuff that you had to get rid of. And it took us three hours, but at the end of the night, we finally finished and cleaned. And my, I know my mom would be so proud of me for doing that. And so we cleaned and, and we did all of that and then we went to bed, and it, it was awesome, and you just felt so accomplished, and then I went downstairs the next morning, and I began to see that the clothes had somehow found their way to the floor again, and uh, within a couple of days, the dishes started to pile up again, and within a week, everything was back to normal. I guess I was just getting prepared for parenthood, you know, but it's like, parents, you know what I'm talking about. You clean, and then you leave the room for 30 seconds, and you come back, and somehow it's even worse than it was after, before you cleaned, you know, and so... Uh, The thing that was frustrating to me, and maybe to all the parents in here, is not that you gave the effort and energy to clean. That's not the frustrating part. The frustrating part is that you gave the effort and energy to clean, but it was wasted, right? It turned out out to be meaningless. And, you know, as we begin 2017, I am very convinced of this, that all of us are going to put a lot of time and energy into something or more reality in some things, You know, you're going to be, for you, that something is going to be being a parent or being an employee or being a co-worker or being a student or being an athlete. Whatever that is for you, maybe it's a follower of Christ. You're going to begin to devote time and energy into doing these things this year. And as we begin to reflect on 2016 and look forward to 2017, what commonly happens is that we begin to think about what we're going to do. What's going to take place in 2017? What am I going to accomplish? What am I going to be? And the problem is, is not that thinking about what is a bad thing, but if we only focus on the what, then we can end up running that race and putting in all that time and energy and still feel like we wasted our time, still doing something that maybe wasn't as significant as it could have been. And so my challenge to us today is not to simply think about the what in 2017, but to think about the why. What is the why behind your what? What is the why behind what you're going to set those goals to be this year? And I'm going to get very specific with you today because I believe that there's one why in particular, that if you have this why, that it takes every what you do and it takes it way further. It causes it to multiply. It causes it to become more effective. But if you don't have this why, if it's not a part of the equation, then your what becomes meaningless. It becomes wasted time, wasted energy, wasted effort. And none of us want to waste our time. And so here's the why. Here's the thing that I think you should make the why behind your what this year. Love. Love. And I know as soon as I said that, I know that there was a few of you that said, oh, that's cute. It's really cute, man. Yeah, we're going to get a message on love today. That's great, you know. And if that was you, no judgment here, but I just want to say this. Stick with me. Stick with me. Because I know this about you, that whether you've heard a million messages on love or maybe you've never even thought about it or that word is just kind of white noise to you, that if you are willing to allow love to become the why behind your what, that your life will take on a whole new set of meaning and significance. And so my challenge to us today is to look at the why of love. And this is hard to do for two reasons. One, because love is hard. You know, as somebody who is a pastor who gets paid to care about people, sometimes I don't care about people. (laughs) And sometimes I can make my life all about doing things for people instead of actually loving people. And so this is a message just as much for me today. But we also live in a culture that it, it values achievement above everything. You know, achievement trumps all. And let me just say, I have nothing wrong with achieving things. I think that's awesome. But what if we achieve all those things, and at the end of it all, it just is not what we thought it would be? I believe that if you have the why of love, it can change everything. And so yet again, my question to you is, why the what? Why the what in your life? We're going to look at a letter written from the Apostle Paul. And it was written about 53 to 58 AD, about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And he's writing this letter to a church that he had planted, a group of people similar to us today, in the city of Corinth. And as he writes this letter, he begins to write about these ideas of how when you come into a relationship with Jesus, when Jesus becomes your Lord, that it changes things in your life. Your life begins to transform. But then one of the major things that kind of comes up in the book of 1 Corinthians is this idea that every single person has a very specific set of things that they are talented and gifted and called to do. That you, right where you sit, that you have been given by God things that no one can take away that are yours to contribute to this world, to this church, this body of people, to life in general. All of us have the same God that we worship, but in the same sense, God gives us many different gifts. And so we see this in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul talks about some of these incredible gifts and talents that are even supernatural, things that God allows people to do to contribute to his work here on earth. But then at the very end of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul throws on this little tagline. He says, I want you to desire these gifts. I want you to work for these gifts. But at the very end, he throws on one little caveat. He says, but I will show you the most excellent way. I will show you the most excellent way. And here's basically what Paul is saying. He's like, I'll show you how to get more out of your what. I'll show you the why. And so if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, we're going to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you don't have it, we're going to put it up on the screen here for you. Starting in verse 1, it says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Paul's saying, hey, look, these are great things, right? It's great to give everything you have to the poor. It's great to sacrifice yourself for others. It's great to have faith that can move mountains. It's great to speak in the tongues of men and angels. But I believe what Paul was saying to the Corinthians and what he's speaking to us today is that it doesn't matter what if you don't lose the butt. It doesn't matter what if you don't lose the butt. Man, you could do all of those incredible things. You could have all those amazing what's attached to your name. But if that but is still right there in 2017, not going to mean anything to God, and so here's my challenge to you. Lose the butt. (laughs) Lose the butt in 2017. See, I believe God wants us to not only focus on what we're going to do, but to attach this meaning of love, and here's where this gets challenging, because that means that I could get up here today, and I could, in every way, man, I could move you to laugh and cry, and I can move you to go change the world, but if I'm not doing this in love, it doesn't impress God. And no matter what you do in your life, no matter what ways that you want to contribute or no matter what ways you want to serve God, if love is not your motivation, it doesn't impress God. You know, the what doesn't matter if the why isn't love. The what doesn't matter if the why isn't love. And so let's look at love. What is love? What is this thing that we should be attaching to everything we're thinking, everything we're doing, everything we're contributing? Paul goes on to write the meaning of love. This is love, and starting in verse 4, he says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Paul lists all of these things about love. He says, this is love. And if I could just sum that up in a really succinct manner, I would say that this, is that love is desiring the best for someone else. Love is seeking the best for the person sitting next to you. Love is seeking the best for them. And as we go into our year, my hope is that in every way that your motivation can become this thing that says, I seek the best for someone other than me. (laughs) I seek the best for others. And so my challenge to us today is to do this, is to live through the lens of love. Because it can be a a daunting task to think, oh man, I need to be this incredible person that's amazing at love. But what I would ask you to begin to do is just change that inner dialogue in your heart. To live through the lens of love. You know, they're going to put a picture up behind me here. And this picture is a really interesting picture because as different as each of the guys look in this picture, what's interesting is that it's all the same guy. That when you look at this person, he looks so drastically different in each one, but the only difference is the lens that the photographer used. See, the lens changes the way this person looks to us. It causes certain things to magnify, causes certain things to seem expanded. And this is the same guy in the same age in the same day, but he looks different because of the lens. My question is, what would we see people like if we looked through the lens of love? What would people look like to us in every situation in our life? I know that this year has been a political year, right? Or not this year, last year was a political year. But love is going to drive us, when we look through the lens of love, it's going to drive us to care more about the person than the point. It's going to cause us to care more about this person than maybe even their ideals or what they believe. We're willing to love people on the other side of the political party, of the political line. Love will drive us to do things in compassion. Love will charge us to do things that maybe are uncomfortable for us. But when we live through the lens of love, it is always a great motivation. And what I find so interesting is that sometimes love actually compels us to do the more difficult thing. Sometimes love will mean that you will actually have that tough conversation with someone. Isn't that interesting? Love doesn't mean just sweeping something under the rug. Sometimes love will address something because if you really want the best for someone else, you might be willing to have that uncomfortable conversation. But when you do it, it's going to be wrapped in mercy and impatience and endurance and hope for the best for them. You know, what's amazing is whether you're a coworker or a manager or an employee, I love this thought that what is truly best for all of us is to know Jesus. And so if love is truly the lens through which you're seeing people, then when you see that need in their life, you're going to begin to think, how can I introduce them to Jesus? How can I introduce them? Can I tell them to just come and see? And I don't know what their experiences have been, but is love going to motivate us to do things that maybe we wouldn't otherwise do? And I think it's so cool because, you know, love is this thing that It sometimes changes things drastically. In some of us, it's going to change the way we live very drastically to live through the lens of love. But sometimes, love is just tiny little differences, tiny little nuances. When you live through the lens of love, I I think back when I was a freshman in college. I was playing baseball, but I was the lowest man on the totem pole. I was a red shirt, um, which means I wasn't even eligible to play in the games. I was a freshman, which meant, you know, you're the lowest. And then I was a Christian. And so people knew that I I believed in God. They knew that I followed him pretty religiously. And so um, they knew I wasn't going to be drinking and smoking and and doing some of those things. And so kind of instantly that became the label for me. But I just remember in those times, I just began to pray and say, God, you know what? I just, I pray that you would give me an opportunity. Just give me opportunities to make friendships, to show people your love. And I remember one day we were about to go on a four-mile conditioning run and never looked forward to that. But I remember w- seeing one of my teammates, and his name was Julian. And I remember seeing Julian limping a little bit. And so I was like, ooh, all right, let me go talk to this guy. And so I, I asked Julian, I said, hey, Julian, what's going on with your ankle? And he said, oh, man, you know, I, I just kind of messed it up earlier this week. And, look, I knew I didn't want to run the four-mile run with a good ankle. So I was like, well, maybe this guy <laughs> is hurting right now. So I said, Julian, c- can I just do something? Can I, can I just pray for you? actually think God could heal your ankle. Would you mind if I just prayed for you? And I'm sure Julian was very surprised and probably a little bit, you know, defensive, but he said, sure. And so I I got down and I asked him, can you mind if I just put my hand on your ankle? So I prayed for his ankle and it was amazing. Nothing happened. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing happened. His ankle didn't get better. We went on the four-mile run. He probably hurt all the way through it. But over time, Julian and I began to build a a relationship, a friendship. And let me just tell you that this was kind of uh, not something you would expect. Julian was everything that people knew I wasn't. Julian was the partier. He was the guy who was, uh, you know, into substances of all kinds. He was a guy who was with different girls every night. I mean, he was just, he was a different guy than me. But we began to build this really great Friendship. And I remember there was one moment where we were about to play a game and we were in center field before the game and we just got into this conversation and all of a sudden Julian began to open up to me about some of the things in his past. And he let me know that when he was a young child, his dad had deserted him and his mom. He began to cry there in center field as he began to say, why would someone not want me? Why would someone think I wasn't good enough? And in that moment, I just remember thinking, you know what? He needs Jesus. He needs to know that there's a God who's a father to us that will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never make mistakes that earthly parents can make. And so I told him that, and man, it was amazing. It was probably the weirdest center field conversation I've ever had, but it, it was just this moment. And you know, later on, Julian actually came to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior and it was incredible, and I remember talking to him, and he said, you know, Ryan, I probably would have always discounted you as just that Christian guy on the team. He said, the one moment that kind of made me open up to you was that time you prayed for my ankle, because, you know, when you prayed for me, nothing happened, and I was like, oh, sorry. (laughs) When you prayed for me, nothing happened, but I just remember thinking, I can't believe someone cares enough about me to go out of their way to pray for me, It was one tiny little action, but because love was the why behind it, God used it and multiplied it. And man, I wonder, what are those tiny little things that if you're living through the lens of love that God will put in your path and that God can use to multiply? It may not always be the big thing where you sell your house and give it to someone, right? I mean, it may not be those huge things, but what are the little things that begin to change in your life? But here's what I know. I know that when it comes to loving people, this is an intimidating thing to think about. To try and be a loving person all the time. In fact, it's impossible, right? Like, if we're honest with ourselves, we're just not that good. (laughs) We're not good enough to just love people consistently. And this is why I really believe this, that you can never fully love others until you have known the love of Jesus in your life that you can't even really fathom what it's like to love other people until you have experienced Jesus' love for you. Right? We know this scripture, John 3.16. It says, For God so put up with the world that he gave his only son. I'm sorry. For God so felt pressured by the world that he gave his only son. That's not what it says, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, Jesus had the why, God had the why of love, and that led to the what that he gave. In the same way that Jesus loved us, is the same way that we, in turn, love others. And you know what? I just love knowing that it's not about me. Sometimes we get this Christianity thing all wrong. We think Christianity is all about reaching this moral perfection. Then once we reach that, then God will finally like us. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus came so that God could show us that he loved us. And because he loved us, once we experience that love, that's when we change everything. Because in love, in response to that love, we say, God, I love you too. And I'm going to change what I need to in my life to better love you. To better love the people you love. It's not about trying to prove yourself to God. And so as we continue to live through the lens of love, I I would just challenge us, man, can you know Jesus' love better in your life? Because at the end of our lives, when we're standing before God, the Bible says that we will stand before God, that we'll give an account of what we did here on earth. My prayer for us is that we would stand before God and that he would say those incredible words, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, I heard a story. Uh, there was an author and a pastor who wrote a book called Imagine Heaven, and in this book, he, uh, he interviewed over a thousand people who had near-death experiences, and if you're not familiar with near-death experiences, uh, there are tons of scientifically recorded and um, moments where people who have technically died, you know, uh, doctors confirm them dead, and then they come back to life and Many of these people, they experience things that are outside of this world. They would be otherworldly experiences. And so this author, he interviewed over a thousand of these people. Not all of them were Christian, but many of them became Christians or were Christians. And he interviewed one in particular that I thought was so interesting. His name was Howard Storm. And Howard Storm was a tenured professor of art at Northern Kentucky University. Um, In his own words, he would be aggressively atheistic. Um, He was someone who was very driven. He was very talented, and in 1985, Howard actually went overseas for a trip to Europe, and while he was there, his duodenum actually perforated, and he actually needed immediate surgery, but there was no surgeons available until the end of the weekend because they were out of the country, and so Howard actually passed away, and This was a really surprising thing for Howard because he always believed that when you die, it's lights out. You know, that's it. But after he died, he remembered standing next to his body feeling more alive than he'd ever felt. And Howard goes on to tell this story about how he began to be led into this outer darkness where people who he thought were his friends began to trick him and and torment him. And in that moment, he remembered something he learned as a little kid. It was this little phrase, Jesus loves me. And so in that moment, he cried out to Jesus and said, Jesus, save me. And when he did, he was standing before Jesus, and he said, the main thing that you feel when you're around Jesus is loved. You just feel this love. And as he was with Jesus, they began to do this thing that he called a life review, where they went chronologically through Howard's life, and they began to look at the different moments. And he said, it wasn't just watching. It was like you were experiencing the moment." But he said everything was so focused on interactions with people. You know, there was a moment when Howard was a little child where his sister was crying in the other room, and and Howard went over to her and just started hugging her and comforting her. And he said, man, you wouldn't believe how excited Jesus got about that. You wouldn't believe how excited he was that he would do that. But then he watched as his life began to age, and as he began to, to go his own direction, he started to live his life more for himself, and he began to use people as instruments to get what he wanted. And he began to have his relationship with his father deteriorate. And he said there were moments where as I was watching this, it was like watching Jesus be stabbed in the heart. He, he, he felt the pain of watching Howard live a life only about himself. And you know, what I find so fascinating about this story is that You know, when I think of my own life, sometimes I get so busy thinking about what I can do for God that I forget how God wants me to do it. And my challenge to us today is, man, let's think with the end in mind as we go into 2017. As we think about this year, how can we position ourselves to live eternally significant lives? I believe the why behind that what has to be love. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent us Jesus. We pray that our lives would be shaped forever because of that love that you've shown us. Help us to love others in big ways and in small ways. Help us to change that inner dialogue in our hearts. Help us to change our actions with compassion and mercy and justice. And God, may everything we do be loving toward others in 2017. Help us to change our why. In Jesus' name. If you could just stay in this attitude of prayer for just a moment, I want to offer an invitation today to anyone who is yet to come to know Jesus. You know, we read that verse, John 3.16. It said, For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus so that whoever would believe in him wouldn't die eternally but would have life. And this is actually why we're here. It's called the gospel. It's the good news. And Jesus did all that so that one day you could be with him forever. And Jesus made it really clear. He said, this is how you gain this eternal life. This is how you come to know Jesus. It's really simple. Repent of your sins and make me the Lord of your life. Turn from those things that you've been doing that have been all about you and choose to give me control. And Jesus promised, he said, look, if you give me your life, I'll show you true life. This isn't just something that starts in eternity, it starts today. And so if you say, I want to say yes to that invitation to know Jesus, then what we're going to do is we're going to pray a prayer. It's a prayer that hundreds in this room have prayed before, but it's a prayer that has such great significance because it's a prayer that can literally transform us. It's a miraculous thing when we put our faith in Jesus. And what I would ask you to do is as we pray together, Pray this and mean it from your heart. And the Bible says that you'll become born again, that you'll become a new person. Church, would you help me pray? Say this after me. Say, Jesus, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've made mistakes. But this morning, I ask for forgiveness. I commit my heart to you, my life to you. Change me forever. I'm yours. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.